Good morning. Um, there is very little that is interesting about a preaching schedule. Um, Carrie and Mike usually sit down and they plan it out and they give it to us and John and I go where we are told like obedient little workers, which is good because that's a lot of planning that I'm glad I don't have to do. Um, this week was a little different, talking about sex, and we were sitting there, and Carrie and Mike and I were sitting there, and we had to decide who was going to preach, and it basically came down to this. I have four biological kids, Mike has two, and John has two, I therefore have the most experience. I'm just kidding, obviously. <laughs> um, but that is our topic this morning, is, is sex. Um, and what does that look like for Christians? Um, and how do we bear witness to godly sex in a world that idolizes it? Um, and so just as a reminder, we are in a sermon series called So Weird It's Revolutionary. So Weird It's Revolutionary. And the thought behind this is that we as Christians are a peculiar sort of people. We are a little different. And we are called to be different from the world for a purpose. And that purpose is that in our difference, in our weirdness, people would see the love and grace and mercy of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, and so this is a gospel proclaimed, if you will, by who we are and how we relate to one another and how we relate to the world. It's not necessarily a spoken gospel, although it is that as well. But the thought would be is that this world would look at our lives and they would say, there's something different about those people. They've got something that I don't have. What is it? And then we can proclaim to them Jesus Christ. So we're weird for a purpose. We're weird so that we can be revolutionary. And so we're looking at different topics in the Christian life and how we are different from the world in the midst of those topics. And the topic for this morning is sex, revolutionary sex, if you will. How are Christians different from the rest of the world on this area? And this, listen, if Christians are different on anything, we are different on this, okay? If we don't think differently about sex, we need to be because this world has lifted sex up to such an idol, to such prominence that is so contrary to, to, to the way Jesus Christ has revealed himself to us in Scripture, um, we've got to be different on this. We've got to be weird. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. How then are we different? And we're going to look at, um, just lay it out for you, three different areas. We're going to put a, a big focus on what the Bible says about sex and especially sex within a covenant. We're going to look at how that covenantal sex plays out in our lives. Um, and then we're going to talk about the way the culture has idolized sex and the dangers of that and the healing that our Lord Jesus Christ offers um, in the midst of that. So we'll just get going. Oh, before I start, um, I have listened, uh, uh, I do a lot of research, and one of the ways I research my sermons is by listening to other preachers who are smarter, older, and wiser than I am, in addition to having them here on staff. They're all over the Internet as well. But anyhow... Um, one of my tried and true ones is Timothy Keller in New York City. He's a fabulous preacher, um, and he's such an effective gospel communicator. And he's preached on this topic, um, he posted it a few months ago, and simply to let you know that I am 
communicating a lot of the stuff that he has said. There's more, and I do it differently, but I simply want, just for full disclosure, um, it's a great sermon. I think it's called Love and Lust. If you have iTunes, um, you can get the podcast. Anyway, very good. I highly recommend it. Um, and, and he is helping me communicate to you all this morning. So, covenantal sex. If you were to ask me, what does the Bible say about sex? I would tell you the same thing that Christians have been saying for years and years and years and years. Sex is reserved for a covenant relationship. It is reserved for a man and a woman in marriage. That's what the Bible says about sex. And it says it from the very beginning. Okay, We didn't wait until Jesus or the apostles came along to start teaching this. This is in Genesis. Carrie's going to pull it up on the screen. We read it. I'm going to read it to you again. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. Eve has just been created. Adam, the Lord looked at Adam and he saw that it was not good for Adam to be alone. And so um, the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And Adam looked at her and said, wow. He was a little more poetic than that, he actually said. (laughs) This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. So here we have the first two people made. God puts them together, okay, He says earlier um, in in chapter 1, he says, be fruitful and multiply. He puts them in a covenant relationship and says, become one flesh. Man, woman, one flesh. This is a biblical ethic of sex from the very beginning that's reserved for a covenant. And then we have Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount is... He, he's talking to the Pharisees, well, he's talking to everybody, but, but the Pharisees are certainly in the background here, and they're, they're very legalistic, and they're very good at following all the laws. And Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law. In fact, if your righteousness does not exceed that, if you're not better than the scribes and the Pharisees, you have no place in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is taking the law, and he's expanding it. And so he says, you have heard it said, do not commit murder. I tell you the truth, anyone who is angry at his brother in his heart has committed murder. Now, how many of you could honestly say you've never committed murder in the way we normally think about it? Really? Come on, guys. (laughs) Now, how many of you can honestly say you've never committed murder in the way Jesus talks about it? Very few of us. And so Jesus is expanding the law. And so we get then to his discussion on sex. He says, You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so Jesus is saying, Listen, You've heard about don't commit adultery, but even looking at somebody with lustful intent, it it reveals the sinfulness of your heart. You're already committing adultery in your heart. And so what he's done then is he's taken the Old Testament sexual ethic, the way we're supposed to understand sex as outlined in the Old Testament, and he has reaffirmed it in the New Testament. It hasn't gone away. Nothing has changed for us just because we're civilized Western people Our understanding of sex as Christians has not changed since Genesis. 
this message we're proclaiming now is revolutionary just like it was when Jesus proclaimed it to the, to the pagan sex-obsessed Greeks in the first century. It's just as revolutionary as it is now. But it would be a travesty if you went home today and said, well, I can't have sex outside of marriage because the Bible tells me so. There's a reason the Bible says that. And so I don't want to leave you with a rule. I want to leave you with a reason and a motivation. And that motivation ultimately is the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sex is reserved for a covenant for a reason. There's a reason. Now, if we're going to understand this, we've got to know a little bit about covenants. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, um, but simply to reinforce it. A covenant is a relationship that two parties enter into. It's a binding relationship, but it's also centered on love. It's a loving yet binding relationship. So you have a marriage covenant. Another covenant would be the covenant between a, um, parents and children. That's a covenantal relationship. And the distinctive feature of these covenantal relationships is that the two people, the two parties that have entered into the relationship sacrifice a little bit of themselves, if not all of themselves, for the sake of the relationship. Okay? The relationship, the covenant, is more important than the needs of any one person who is in it. You, have, you get that? And so, let's just think, if we're thinking about... Um, Parents and children. Parents, it takes a lot, right, to raise kids. You give up a lot of yourself. You give up maybe all of yourself. You give up 90% of yourself. You give up your needs for the sake of your children. Now, there's all sorts of needs you give up for your kids, but moms, maybe you can identify. One of the needs you give up is the right to go to the bathroom by yourself. Is that not correct? When you have kids, you have forfeited that right. But you do it because you love them. Because your relationship with them is far more important than your own needs or your own wants or your own desires. We see it in marriage. Two become one. If two people are going to become one flesh, they've got to give up of themselves. A little bit of themselves has to die. And so in a covenantal relationship, the two parties, in this case of marriage, man and woman are more committed to the relationship than they are to their own wants or their own needs or their own desires. Does that make sense? So in a covenant relationship, um, you you find all sorts of things, but four that I want to highlight are are these. The first thing you find is commitment. The relationship is worth sacrificing for. Marriage is is a commitment. You, You are in it to the end. That's the promise you make. Now, there's all sorts of, of brokenness that comes from our sinfulness in marriage. But, but few people get married with the intention of divorcing. And so a marriage covenant is one of commitment. And when you're in a covenant of commitment, um, when, when, when both parties are in it as they should be and as God calls us to be, it's a safe place. It is a safe place. Now, please remember, I'm speaking, um, you know, if we weren't sinful, this is what it would look like. Now, we are, and so we're going to fall short, and there's, there's different things to think about. But for the most part, a covenant relationship is a safe relationship. And what I mean by that is you can be yourself. You don't have to put up a facade. You're in a relationship with somebody. You know they love you no matter who you are. They're committed to you. They're not going to split at the first sign you, you mess up, and so you're not 
called to be walking on eggshells all the time. You can be yourself. You can make bad jokes and not feel like your wife is going to leave you. You can leave your socks on the floor. I'm speaking from a men's perspective. Women, I'm sure you all do stuff too. But, but the thought is your husband, your wife is not going to split. They're not going to walk out the door because you make a mistake. It's a safe place. You can be yourself. So uh, covenant relationships, committed, safety. Because you're committed and because there's safety, there is also freedom. There's freedom, like I said, to be yourself, to let go. Now the world will tell you, well, you can only be free if you don't tie yourself down. But that is wrong. If you don't tie yourself down, you're a slave. You're a slave to others because you're always promoting yourself and always marketing yourself. Listen, tell me what you think. Just, just think about this in your head. Who is more free? Is it the person who's going in for a job interview that's trying to convince somebody else to hire them? Or is it the person who's been working in the same place for 20 years? Obviously, the person who's been there longer. He has a freedom to be himself. Okay? Who is more free? Is it, is it the uh, freshman trying out for the JV basketball team for the very first time? Or is it the senior who's been a three-year starter on the varsity and is being recruited by colleges? Who, who's more free to make a mistake or to be themselves? The senior. Okay? For those of you, if, you, if you're in a college admission process, are, are you more free during the admission interview? Or are you more free once you've been accepted and you're attending classes? When you're in a covenant, you are free to be yourself. You can drop the facade. Finally, a covenant, um, there's a disclosure. Um, Where there's commitment and safety and freedom, there's disclosure. When you're in a marriage covenant, you can't hide anything. You can't hide anything from your wife or your husband, and you don't want to. You're fully disclosing yourself to them. Why? Because it's a safe place. Because it's a free place. And so you can offer all of yourself to your spouse. That's what a covenant relationship looks like. Now, there are other types of relationships, and one um, to highlight would be a consumer relationship. Um, We are all in consumer relationships. These aren't bad relationships. We need to be in them. Um, For instance, the coffee shop down the street. You're in a consumer relationship. You give them money, which is what they need for them, They give you coffee, which is what you need at 6 o'clock in the morning. You give them money, they give you coffee. Now, if you can find coffee that's cheaper, tastes better, and they have better service, where are you going to go? You're going to go to that coffee shop down the street. Because you you need good coffee, they've got better coffee, and so that's where you're going to go. The same thing with the grocery store. I mean, any sort of analogy, two parties in a consumer relationship are looking after their needs, and they should be. The need of the coffee shop owner is to make money. Frankly, he probably doesn't care how much you pay for coffee as long as you're willing to pay it. And so if he needs to make more money, he might raise his coffee prices. If you need better coffee, you might go down the street. That's your prerogative. That's a consumer relationship. Now, what does this have to do with sex? You're probably asking at this point. It has everything to do with sex. Sex, from a biblical standpoint, is a covenantal good. It's something offered and given and receiving in the context of a covenant. Um, I'm going to use a a theological word. Uh, The word is sacrament. Um, And sacrament is nothing but it's it's an outward sign. So something uh, physical, something material that you can um, 
sense with your senses that you can experience. Sex is a sacramental sign between, of, it's a sign of the covenant between a husband and a wife. And so in marriage, you are offering full disclosure to your spouse. Okay, in our Book of Common Prayer, um, which is the book um, by which we worship, it's the book that has our marriage services in it, it's a beautiful service, and it says that marriage is the union of a man and a woman in heart and in body and in mind. You see that? It's a union in heart, body, and mind. Full offering, full disclosure between a man and a woman. And sex is a sign of that. It is a sacrament of that. It is a physical offering from husband to wife and wife to husband of themselves. They were in the garden and they were both naked and they were not ashamed. That's what sex is. It is a covenantal sign of the disclosure you've given to your husband, you've given to your wife. And so when you have sex, in many ways, you are renewing your covenant. You're renewing your covenant. You are physically renewing your spiritual union. And it's a beautiful and glorious thing. But when we remove sex from the covenant, when we take a cultural standpoint that that sex is not covenantal, sex is actually a consumer good. It's something to meet my needs. And so we take it out of the realm of covenant, out of the realm of commitment, out of the realm of safety. And all of a sudden, sex isn't about renewing a commitment you have to somebody. Sex, all of a sudden, is about marketing yourself. It's about marketing yourself. Showing to somebody else that you're good enough to be um, a spouse, to be a husband, to be a wife, or maybe you don't even want to get married, that, that you're good enough to stay in a long-term relationship with. Sex is something you have to do, and you've got to be good at it, because when you're not in a committed, covenantal relationship, you're always on the lookout for something better, aren't you? And so if the sex isn't good here, we're going to go get it somewhere else. That's what happens when we take this beautiful gift of God and put it outside of a covenant. It becomes a consumer thing. It's something you're consuming for your pleasure. And if you're not in a committed relationship, a committed covenant, and by covenant I mean married, then you're always going to be looking out for something else. And so one woman writes, she was in a um, non-covenantal sexual relationship, She says she felt like she was on a never-ending audition to be his wife. She was always trying out for the team. She could never be free. She could never be herself. Because they were always wondering, what's next? What's better? What else could I have? This is hugely important, friends. uh, Some of you are probably thinking, wow, that's that's really hard. That's... That's not my understanding. That's not what I've experienced. And and, and it is hard, okay? And this is why we we come to worship every Sunday, that God would renew us in mind, soul, body, and strength. But but the Bible is pretty clear. It's pretty clear about this. And the experience of so many people who have tried it both ways is incredibly clear on this. Now, how does this play out in your life? Well, if you're single, um, 
Simply remember this. Sex is reserved for a covenant. Sex flourishes, is glorious and beautiful within a relational covenant, within a marriage. That's, that's where sex belongs. And when you bring it outside of a marriage, when you make this covenantal offering a consumer good, you cheapen sex. It cheapens sex. And so if you're not, if you're not married in this room, just listen to me. Don't cheapen Sex, because you, you want pleasure or because you're trying to, to make someone stay with you and not break up with you, don't cheapen that. Kids who are going to college, listen, don't cheapen this gift that God has given you. Kids in high school even, listen to me, don't cheapen what God has given you. Now, most of you are married, and so you're thinking, oh, wow, Whew, I'm home free, I'm good to go. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, but no as well. Because even those of us who are marriage um, are, are, are consistently turning our eyes from our covenant relationship and going outside of the covenant for sex. Now you're saying, well, I've never actually committed adultery. And good, I'm glad to hear that. Um, but but we, do this, we do this all the time. Pornography. That is sex outside of a covenant. Okay. Many, many, many men, uh, some studies say a majority, a, a strong majority of men um, look at pornography on a regular basis. Many women, women, this is not, you're not excused from this either. Many, many women are looking at pornography as well. And, and sometimes uh, it's pictures, sometimes it's novels. But, but we're turning, do you see what we're doing? We're turning outside of our partner, outside of our spouse, our husband, our wife, we're turning from them and getting fulfilled sexually in other places. It just so happens that it's either a computer screen or a magazine or a book. That is fulfilling the role that your covenant partner is supposed to be doing. Men, your wife is upstairs. She wants to fulfill that role for you. And you're turning to a computer screen? Women, your husband want no, wants nothing more than to satisfy you. And you're turning to some book? That turns chat, sex into consumerism. We're consuming it instead of giving it. It's not covenantal. It's consuming when we do that. Um, also, you know, we can devalue covenant sex in other ways. Um, and I can't, I'm not going to go into all of them. But, you know, when you withhold sex... For payback or manipulation, um, and it doesn't have to be like serious manipulation. It could be like, well, if you'd wash the dishes every once in a while, you know, we could, you know, get it on. <laughs> but listen, Paul is pretty clear in First Corinthians. I mean, he addresses this specifically. He says you should never abstain from sex. Maybe on occasion, for a spiritual purpose, you could abstain from sex if you both agree. But beyond that, you should never abstain from sex. You should give freely. In fact, Paul goes on to say, this is revolutionary in our culture. It's amazing. And we could preach for hours on this one verse. I'm not going to. I could. Paul says, women, your bodies, they don't belong to you. They belong to your husband. Men, your bodies don't belong to you. They belong to your wife. And he goes on to say, you should, you should never deny conjugal rights. It sounds very formal and like prison-y almost. <laughs> now listen, this is within reason. Obviously, sometimes headaches are real. 
um, and I, I say that lightheartedly because we need a dose of that every, every now and again, but, but really, I mean, be reasonable about what you're expecting or what you're wanting. And, and if one person is, is, is doing the covenantal role in the giving and the other person isn't, then it's not covenantal anymore. It's, it's exploitation, and obviously that's not healthy for your relationship either. But, but, but in these covenant relationships, that if we weren't so darn sinful, we, we could live into these things. It, this beautiful act of self-giving is amazing. And then finally, the other thing we, I just want you to consider, because I'm guessing most of you haven't thought about this, is in our day-to-day lives, how, how are we going to communicate this to our children? Because God knows they're getting it from somewhere. They're going to learn about sex from somewhere. And if it's not from you, it's going to be in school. Um, and if you withhold them from school, it's going to be on TV. They're going to learn it from somebody. So how are we going to communicate to them what sex is all about? How are we going to communicate to them this idea of a covenantal relationship instead of a consumer relationship? How are you going to own up? You know, most of us have, have, um, have failed to live up to these very things that I'm talking about. How, how are you going to discuss that with your kids? Are you going to say, well, no, I did it just right? Or are you going to be real with them when they're age appropriate? Are you going to talk about mistakes you've made? Invite them to learn from your mistakes. What are you going to do? Or what are you going to do um, when they do mess up? Are you a safe person for them to turn to? Are they going to be judged and victimized? And you're going to, um, you know, you're grounded for a year. No more TV, no more school, nothing. You stay in your room. Are they going to come and talk to you then about sex? Or about a mistake they've made? Or about, about something that's concerning them? We have to think through these things. I don't have all the answers, but at some point we've got to decide how are we going to instill in our children this understanding of sex so when they get out in this world, this world that tells them it's all about their bodies, that they need to practice sex before they're married so they can know who they're compatible with, the world that tells them that well, sex is just something for fun, it has nothing to do with marriage, how are we going to combat that with our kids? We've got to be willing and intentional to instill in them a godly understanding of sex. Now, we need to recognize that our culture idolizes sex. Absolutely idolizes sex. It is the thing, the, the most important thing. People cannot imagine being happy and not having sex or being happy and only having sex with one person for the rest of their lives. They can't, they can't imagine that. And so um, Jesus knows this. He knows that the world is going to idolize this topic. And so he has some pretty strong words. If we're in Matthew, let me read verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. That was pretty strong language. If your eyes are causing you to sin, pluck them out. If your hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. Better for those individual members to be thrown into hell than your whole body. Now, people read this verse, and they're like, oh, they're those Christians again, they're so stuffy about sex and how you're going to hell if you have sex, and sex is only for making babies and nothing else. And, and, and the church has taught it that way before, and that's a, a tragedy, frankly. 
Um, but the Bible is anything but stuffy when it comes to sex, okay? We just read one passage. You have a, a naked man and a naked woman looking at each other and singing, um, as Tim Keller puts in his sermon, rapturous love songs. I and mean, this is the very beginning of the Bible, okay? Um, men, this one's for you, okay? Write this down. You'll thank me later. Proverbs 5.18. Don't look it up now. When you get home, look it up, share it. Proverbs 5.18, that's a good one. The Song of Solomon. Have you read that? Yeah, it's an amazing book. (laughs) The Song of Solomon makes 50 Shades of Grey look like a children's book. But it's all within a covenant. It's this glorious um, presentation of sex within a covenant. And so Christians are, are not or should not be stuffy about sex by any means. Why is Jesus then talking like this? Because he knows that sex, like any other idol, will kill us. It will kill you. <laughs> what a way to go. <laughs> wow. Thanks, Bob. It's Bob Heron, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> He's got it. He gets it. <laughs> but it will spiritually kill you as well. It will spiritually kill you as well. And why is that? Because if we elevate something to importance that, that, that only the importance that only belongs to Jesus Christ, we're going to be off track. We're totally going to miss him and miss what he has done for us and miss his, his, his loving sacrifice on our behalf. And so you should fill out this sentence, I will finally be happy or I'll finally be satisfied or I'll finally be fulfilled when, and whatever you just finished that sentence with, that is your idol. The only thing that can truthfully complete that sentence is Jesus Christ. I will finally be fulfilled when I know Jesus Christ. Augustine says, Lord, our our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And so our culture has said, you can't be happy if you're not having sex. That is impossible. You can't be happy if you're not having lots of different sex with lots of different kinds of people. And that's idolizing sex. And when we do that, and when we buy into that, if we say, that's true, I can only be happy unless I'm having sex. Um, listen, it's, it might be fun, but, you know, let's, we don't pretend that this isn't potentially fun. All sin is fun. It has to be, doesn't it? Or we wouldn't do it. But the long-term consequences of that are devastating. They're devastating. There, there are people who have been... Um, in relationships, there's people in this room, and, and you're, you're hearing this, and you're thinking, man, I've totally messed this up. And you don't need me to tell you that. You've known that for years, and maybe you, you've, you know, it leads to, to, to shame to some folks who were, were using the term earlier, emotional scars. We are scarred emotionally when we idolize sex, and that's our, our, our only pursuit. We carry baggage. We carry guilt. We carry shame. All of us bring this to the table. This isn't isolated. This is all of us. How are we going to combat that? How are we going to combat this idolization of sex? Well, if we condemn, it just makes it worse. Instead, we offer the love of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ, 
The Lord who looked down from his bloody perch on the cross and said, you did this to me and I love you anyway. That's the gospel message. We can't shame the world into to changing their mind. We can only love them. And if you're here this morning and you're, you're hearing this and you're, you're carrying that baggage or you're carrying that shame, you, you listen to me. I don't care if you hear anything else. Listen to this. Jesus Christ loves you anyway. He loves you anyway. He wants to give you a new start, a fresh start. And when you know him, you're a new person. And all of this past, all of this history, all of this baggage you're bringing with you, that is forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. And we can leave here, we can proclaim this gospel of grace, proclaim this forgiveness, and we can be new people by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can know the love of Christ in a, in a loving and healthy and committed covenantal sexual relationship. So I invite you just to, um, well, I'm going to pray in a second, I'm going to invite you to, to, to offer that to the Lord. Because we've all got it, we've all got it. Let's offer that to the Lord. Let's take this burden off our shoulders and leave here being a covenantal people, proclaiming a gospel of grace to a world that desperately, desperately needs it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it says in Romans that you loved us while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners. You didn't wait for us to become holy before you started loving us. And even now we're not there yet. And so we come before you in repentance. We confess our brokenness. We confess our, um, our, our idolization of sex that we've all bought into at some point or another. We thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. And now by your Holy Spirit, soften our hearts, heal our scars, erase our shame. Make us holy into your image so that when we leave here, we would have a weird understanding of sex, a different understanding of sex, and that we would have a message that could revolutionize this world. We ask all these things through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.